My hope is that creatives, cultural producers will continue to find diverse ways of making a living and that other industries will continue to embrace the value of arts and culture on non-commercial goals, but with commercial benefits. Welcome back to another edition of How I Create Me, where we passionately celebrate remarkable humans on their quest to thrive creatively in the commercial world. I'm your host, Jessica Matthews. This community gives me both the courage to keep going and the wisdom to try something different. I hope our collective stories resonate with your own internal spark, and we're so glad you're joining us. Invite others by rating the show on Apple or Spotify. This helps the algorithm critters introduce us to more folks. And explore our happenings or chime into our conversation online at howicreate.me. Today, we're celebrating the remarkable human, social entrepreneur, and creativity champion, Chris Appleton. He chatted with me about the intersection of healthcare, arts, and culture, and how technological leverage plus human connection is opening up new pathways for patients and providers to tap into the abundant healing generated by community artisans. He's invested much of his professional passion where art meets civic life, focusing on building social change through co-founding and directing Wonder Root, and serving on the boards of critical Atlanta institutions such as Grady Health Systems Ambassador Force, the Alliance Theater, and more. Join us to hear about his newest endeavor, Art Pharmacy, and why an improv class might be the best prescription your doctor ever writes for you. Hey, Chris. Thank you for joining me today on How I Create Me. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Jessica. It's good to be here. Such a pleasure. And I am so excited about your topic specifically. I have lived in these like two worlds of healthcare and art for so long and personally always found it difficult to intersect them, even though they really have so much to, to feed each other. So I'm very excited about our conversation um, around these topics of art as medicine and this new opportunity that it has to make an impact. So tell me a little bit to kick us off about what you wish everyone understood about your profession, your purpose, and your overarching why. Well, generally in life, I wish that people saw things not through such singular lenses. And my work really takes a variety of stakeholders into consideration. And uh, I wish more people were doing that. And that's what we're doing with the art pharmacy. So tell me about what got you started on the idea. Art pharmacy as a solution for care providers to prescribe and refer patients to health improving arts and culture experiences. Like what launched that idea for you? Sure. So this is a little sort of inside baseball, I guess, but for 15 years or so, there's been a really strong movement in the United States to strengthen artists and arts organizations' ability to work cross-sector in other industries and other fields, really focus on building up the sort of skills and capacities, expertise of folks in the arts and culture space to, to work in these other industries. But there's been less focus as a part of this movement on building the understanding, demand, and capacity of the industry side partners to embrace arts and culture. And when 
I learned that there had been 40 plus years of research, leading research institutions across the country, across the globe, on the role of arts and culture to improve health outcomes, physical health outcomes, mental, uh, mental and behavioral health outcomes. We really thought that there uh, might be an opportunity to wake up every day and really add the care providers or the folks on the healthcare side to the list of stakeholders that this field ought to be considering. And so, um, so that's really the impetus of the work. The research is clear that engagement with arts and culture can have a really uh, valuable impact on our mental health and well-being. And uh, we just need more opportunities to make the connections between those two sides of the equations, the healthcare side and the and the arts and culture side, of course, centering the patient in all. Yeah, I love the it's uh, it's support system around the patient. As, as somebody whose soul really thrives in an arts and culture environment, I have there's places in Atlanta that I go that feel like a second home to me because that's my my safe place when I am feeling anxious or I'm feeling overwhelmed or sad. Um, I often go to the theater by myself. <laughs> Example, just to feed that piece of my humanity that needs to hear the stories of how other people have coped with things and or even just a story that has nothing at all to do with what I'm facing in my life. And I find, though, that there's such a, a burden of the logistics behind that. The standard sort of modus operandi right now is that the patient has to be able to like identify that that's something that's helpful and then make the plans and then execute on the plans, which is a really hard thing to do when you're in a place of anxiety or depression or overwhelm or physically need some support getting up and down stairs or parking and driving, all those sorts of things. So the idea of sort of helping the healthcare community really come around and support patients getting to the places that can really feed their souls is so reassuring and inspiring to me. So talk to me a little bit about what some of the biggest shifts are that you're seeing around caregiving in today's society. There's a lot of opportunities, I imagine, for creative professionals to make a profitable contribution in some of these shifts, but can you maybe articulate some of those for us? Sure. One of the biggest changes that I'm seeing that I'm learning about here over the last several years is the focus on social determinants of health. And these are the social conditions which have, in most cases, a much larger larger impact on our health outcomes than the actual health care or medical care that we receive. And the art pharmacy is really leaning into that. One of the core social determinants of health is this um, idea of social connection or belonging. And so much research, uh, Dr. Daisy Fancourt, based in the UK, with some WHO-backed research, has really shown that engagement with arts and culture reduces social isolation, increases social connectedness. And so these are the, these are the spaces that we're thinking about social care and the integration of social care into the traditional medical pharmacological system is something that I think there's been a lot of focus on the last couple of years in particular. Community health workers are really on the front lines of doing this work, and that's really who we're trying to learn from. 
So tell me a little bit more about who are the core stakeholders that are involved and how have you been helping them to access or create these connections? Because in my head, it feels like these are two such disparate systems, right? The systems that create art and culture for us and mobilize artists and bring an audience to them or get their art out into accessible spaces. And then healthcare, which is its own maze of specialization and points of access and charts and sign-on apps. And like there there are these two worlds that in my head have a hard time talking to one another. So who are the core stakeholders that you see being involved in some of these connections and how are you helping create those points of access? We see four stakeholder groups. First and foremost, patients, right? Consumers, the individuals that are struggling with mental health, behavioral health concerns, and do desire engagement with arts and culture, right? Like there is that demand that is out there as you've uh, certainly spoken for for yourself, right? And I think one, like one important thing to maybe mention is that maybe people like you and me that for my entire life have, have consumed art and culture in sort of traditional cultural institutions, I know where those things are. I know that it feels good to me to go to the theater or go to the museum or participate in a creative writing workshop, but others may not. And so providing some care navigation or care coordination services to patients is a big part of how we're trying to support them. On the arts and culture side, some arts and culture organizations design their programs, their services, their exhibitions, their performances with mental health or well-being outcomes in mind. They identify their work as having a clear connection to health and well-being. Others may not design it with that particular end in mind, but those programs, those cultural experiences can still have protective and therapeutic benefits to our well-being. And so largely what we're trying to do for arts and culture partners is to go help them really recruit participants, audience members, people to show up and say, I want to consume the culture that you're producing and providing access to. And we've found, unsurprisingly, overwhelming interest from the arts and culture side. Healthcare providers that range from medical doctors to school-based therapists, uh, so a really broad range of, of provider types, we found believe that engagement with arts and culture can benefit their patients. But as you've just said, it's a complicated web of navigating all of this, and care providers are unlikely to have the expertise or time or resources to connect their patients to these things. And so we're providing them a service in that way. And then last, um, but certainly not least, in, in terms of making it all work, is we're thinking about payers, right? Private payers, care management organizations, Medicare, Medicaid, as, as stakeholders. And what we want is for those payers to pay for arts and culture interventions as member benefits, as a part of health plans uh, for the health outcomes that they can help support, as well as what we believe will be a reduction in cost of care. Yeah. This seems to me to echo this 
transition that I've seen just as a recipient of healthcare communications for a couple of decades now towards the preventative and towards the the holistic approach to health rather than let's wait for it to get utterly terrible and (laughs) you can't do a whole lot. It's like, let's start earlier. And there's so much savings to be found in preventing the development or escalation of challenges or medical conditions. And this seems to be sort of like a part of that transition overall shift that I perceive at least as a as a recipient of these different opportunities through my healthcare team or or through what I've seen friends experience. Uh, what are some of the challenges that that you see and because it sounds like a course, a win-win for everybody, right? Like the artists are getting more audience, the payers are saving by preventing development of and, and be able to intercede earlier in the process, for example, perhaps. And then of course the patients are receiving these great benefits. So if it's a win-win for everybody, what are some of the challenges that you've had to overcome in, in be- helping people understand this value of art as medicine? Because the concept is relatively novel in the United States, and I should be really clear, there's amazing work happening all over the country. Artists and cultural workers have been leveraging the power of arts to heal and transform individuals and communities since the beginning of time, and it is very important to to acknowledge that. But because this arts-based social prescribing practice is relatively novel in the United States, there's definitely some education that has to happen uh, with, with patients, with payers, with providers, and then with the complexities of the healthcare system and the limited time that providers have to connect patients to resources and issue referrals and things like that. There's, it's a lot of it is just around the sort of logistics and the systems. And that's what we're really focused on is, is we're saying, hey, cultural organizations, you will already provide health improving arts experiences. Just keep what you're doing what you're doing. Care providers, you already are screening patients for anxiety and depression and suicidal ideation and and these behavioral health concerns, keep doing what you're doing. Let us figure out how to make these these connections between everybody, which is what we have started to do and and, uh, think that there's gonna be a real demand for it. Do you see technology and uh, tools and and platforms as being like a key piece of that integration? I'm just thinking through so many of the creative folks that I've seen be successful in their commercial world, whatever that context is. Technology has become such an important piece of scaling and leveraging and creating the right kind of flows and removing barriers and obstacles. Do you see that same thing happening in this point of connection uh, as well? Is it about writing software that connects these two sides? Or is it also more maybe this educate, like you said, this educational piece of just figuring out like, hey, this is a thing that's out there that's available that we can connect for you. Kind of like, how how do you see that playing out? This is a question our team talks about internally. So uh, when we think about scale and potential to reach lots and lots of people, technology has to play a part. 
and this care navigation service, which is a human being on our team that is connecting with a human being, a patient that's struggling with mental health issues, and really making that human connection, we think is very important to this work. And so there's some balance there. So does software, does technology play a role enabling us to do a better job of this, reach more people, collect and understand the data necessary to make the case to payers, they should be reimbursing for these types of services? Yes, of course. We cannot lose the human element in that process. Yeah. And that makes so much sense because art is human, like at its core, right? Like you said, for all of time, (laughs) artists have been pushing us to explore ourselves and to be able to tell a narrative and fit ourselves into this big, the bigger picture and how we connect to the society around us. You know, that all is so human centric that preserving that piece does make sense and resonates with me so much as as a key element to making the rest of the systems successful because you people will tend to abandon things that they don't feel that connection to right you can have the most I I come up against this all the time in my work I can have the most beautifully plotted system for a workflow for a client and if it doesn't like ring true in that human element (laughs) through a zoom call or through allowing them to have face-to-face with their team or wherever that point of human to human connection is then they're not going to use my beautiful workflow so (laughs) that makes that makes so much sense For someone who wants to maybe learn a little bit more about the research that is kind of underpinning a lot of of where you're directing your resources, like what are, can you point us to a few places that we could explore? Sure. Several come to mind. The first is the University of Florida's Center for Arts and Medicine. Dr. Jill Sonke and their team are, I think, really on the leading edge of this work and not just from a research standpoint, but programmatically doing, doing incredible work on the role of, of the arts to heal and, and how to integrate arts and culture into medicine and community health. There's a really cool resource. The Rhode Island State Department of Public Health uh, teamed up with some arts folks and developed this really cool matrix of all the different sort of health maladies that someone may experience on the X column and all of the different types of arts and culture interventions on the Y column. And it's this big grid. And then where those sort of the the malady and the arts and culture intervention intersect, there's a list of research papers and studies that uh, talk about how the arts improve, I think, uh, improv theater training and uh, dementia patients, right? Memory care patients, right? Like so many different cool things. So Rhode Island State Department of of Public Health uh, is really cool. And then uh, UCLA's Center for Arts and Healing, I think is uh, doing really great, great work as well. That matrix sounds like the most fun rabbit hole ever. <laughs> I have to pull that up and just go if click this in all the way the down If interested in, yes, it is a rabbit hole for sure. <laughs> Love it. So in context of all your experience in this work and, and your history as a creative yourself and how you've been a promoter of the arts for a long, long time, um, can you boil down all of that maybe? In 60 seconds, if possible, I know it's a big ask, but is there one action that somebody could personally take? We happen to identify 
someone as struggling with anxiety or depression or some of the other adverse situations that we face that the arts can really speak to. Our community here at How I Create Me is full of creatives and artists. And I know that we would want to know like how we can help. So is there something, is there one thing that we can do if we see someone struggling? Well, I a little bit resist on uh, one thing uh, because I think (laughs) different people need different things and we should meet people where they are. But with that in mind, I think taking sort of arts and culture out of the equation, I think when people are struggling and it may feel awkward to reach out, reach out anyway. There is no telling the number of lives saved and suffering uh, reduced or alleviated uh, just by reaching out and making a human connection. Additionally, having a cultural experience, having an arts experience with someone as you're making that, having that human connection, I think it's a really beautiful, lovely way to do it. Yeah, so well said. And thank you for that reminder, because it it can feel in the moment when you're faced with this and you're like, ah, I see it happening. I want to do something. And to have another voice saying like, yes, this is a good idea. (laughs) Reach out, make the connection invite them out to the theater, take them to a gallery showing, or send them a link to a fantastic video. That It's nice to hear that reassurance that this is a good idea to reach out. Because you're right, it feel awkward sometimes. <laughs> but, but that's really, um, really good, good advice, good wisdom. Thank you. Uh, what is it beyond just those kind of one-to-one interactions. What are some of the bigger, maybe grander hopes that you have at a generational level for like the next generation of creatives, those of us that are making our stamp in, in an economic space by conducting business as creatives, you know, what are some of the hopes that you have for the long-term impact of some of these shifts that you see? My hope is that creatives, cultural producers will continue to find diverse ways of making a living and that other industries will continue to embrace the value of arts and culture on non-commercial goals, but with commercial benefits. So I think that this is one of the things that's been really encouraging over the last couple of decades in this cross-sector arts field is the integration of arts and culture into economic development and housing policy work and transit access work and all these different things. They are social goods and that the industry is driving the progress in those respective fields or will will lean on just the creative brilliance that uh, artists in our community have. That's really exciting. And I see it happening and I appreciate getting like a window into the inner workings of some of uh, where these changes are taking place. So thank you so much for sharing with us about uh, what y'all are doing over at Art Pharmacy. I do have to say before I let you go, though, I would like to play a game with you called the Ungame. It is the world's most popular self-expression game. So it says on the box. And I grew up with my mom playing this game with us. And me and my siblings, of course, used to complain about it all the time before we understood the value of human connection and conversation. (laughs) But how it works is I will shuffle the deck and ask one question to you and I, and we'll each answer it. 
It will help our audience get to know us a little better and give us a chance to get outside of our, our little uh, topical bubble for a moment. <laughs> I love games and I love human connection. So it's right up my alley. Okay, here we go. How do you think your mother would describe you? So how would my mother describe me? I think of all her children, I'm the one that did convert to the conversationalist the quickest. <laughs> and I love to talk and listen to people and ask questions. And I'm always learning. So I think she would describe me as a very curious, tenacious, and well-read, kind of well-rounded um, person. But also one of the side effects of that is more anxiety because I know, because I encounter all these other things that I have to be assimilating and integrating all the time into how I see the world or choose to move forward. So I think those are some of the ideas that that maybe she would that she would have. Well, I'm glad to answer uh, this question. And if your mother described you that way, how wonderful! Those are great things to be, <laughs> and uh, I can relate to how some of that perhaps boosts the anxiety a bit. <laughs> uh, my mother would describe me as her favorite son tied for first place with my brother because she would never, ever admit that I was her favorite son in first place alone. I think my mother would describe me as, uh, as ambitious, as always reaching, as a lifelong learner, as somebody that was kind and uh, really concerned for others' well-being and humanity. I also think my mother would describe me as uh, very firm in my beliefs and a relatively rigid person. I was on the phone with my mother the other day, ironically enough, and uh, I said, Mom, I just sometimes I feel like such a bleeding heart. And I was complaining about that. I don't know. And she goes, but you know what, Jessica, that's a good thing to be in this world. <laughs> like, thanks, mom. <laughs> that's a good reminder. Because <laughs> it is easy sometimes when we have these different opinions of ourselves or people have opinions about how we conduct our life and our business. It's so nice sometimes to have a mom to reach out to or think back on and be like, what do you see? And most of the time, because there are moms, they love us and see all the good in us, right? <laughs> so yes, my, I feel my very mom privileged in that way. <laughs> oh yes, oh yeah. My mom doesn't think I do no wrong, but pretty <laughs> pretty close to that. I talk to my mom most every day, and she's just she's amazing, and I'm so grateful uh, for everything that she's done for me. That's so lovely. So to both our moms, if you listen to our podcast, which being the types of moms we've been describing, you probably will. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, Chris, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Um, appreciate the point of connection and the new ideas. And we will, as always link in our show notes, all the places that we've talked about that you can go exploring. Is there a specific place, Chris, that people should check you out online if they would like to learn more about what you're doing? Yes, artpharmacy.org is the best place to learn about our work. And um, yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn and I'm glad to connect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank That's you for having for me. One. <laughs> That's another party in the bag for How I Create Me. 
We're incredibly grateful that you've welcomed our content into your headspace. We take it very seriously that we should bring light and goodness to your soul. So don't be shy about sharing your thoughts. How'd we do? Do you want to hear more? What should we talk about next? To stay connected and get amongst the details, visit howicreate.me. Are there other people in your world that should join the party? Invite others by rating the show on Apple or Spotify. This helps the algorithm critters introduce us to more folks. Like, share, follow, and all the social media things. That'll help too. Explore our happenings or chime into our conversation online at howicreate.me. This podcast would not be possible without the generous efficiency of our executive producer and production team at Chat with Leaders Media. Learn how you can launch your own podcast to grow your business at chatwithleaders.com. Thanks again for listening. May you go forth and thrive.